encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn in them to Genesis chapter 50. There are times in our worship calendar where it is absolutely evident that God is behind what we pair together. And this morning is one of those times where we see that God had a clear plan in having uh, George and Sarah and their family here this morning to talk about reconciliation and forgiveness. Because in our text this morning, we are going to be reading about Joseph, which is ultimately a story about God's reconciliation. God's taking what someone intended for evil and turning it into something that was good and was for the saving of many lives. And so I encourage you to grab your Bibles, whether they're uh, in the chairs in front of you, whether you follow along up on the screen or on your phone, as we uh, read together from Genesis chapter 50. Before we read, let's uh, pray together once more. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they have committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. There are two roadblocks to reconciliation, at least in our own context. Two roadblocks to being able to trust that this verse in Genesis chapter 50 is true. Let me read it again. You intended it to harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The first is that what we might call instant evidence. Most of us are aware that in our society, in our culture, we have instant gratification, right? If there isn't the ability for us right now to see how this benefits us, how this is good for us, we are not interested. We have every single app at our fingertips designed for our own personalization. Right? It's one of the things that you sign up for when you download an app. Do you accept 
dot, 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 for your personalization. Many of us own cars now that when we get into them, there is already, because of the key fob, our presets. The mirrors move. We don't even have to touch them. The seat moves. The lumbar support changes. The tilt of the steering wheel. Everything is for your personalization. We have Spotify channels. We don't listen to the radio anymore because we can personalize every song we listen to. And for a few extra dollars, we can get rid of those pesky ads, which have also been personalized for our enjoyment. But the trouble with that is that can be toxic to our faith. Because it demands that in the moment, if we cannot see exactly how God is going to use this, we have no use for him. Right? As Christians, we sort of recognize that instant gratification isn't healthy, and so we make this, we, we sort of make this compromise in our hearts, in our souls. We say, okay, we know that life isn't about us, that we aren't the center of the universe. We get that. We accept that God is doing that. But there's something that holds on in our hearts that says, if we can't see how God is going to use this for our good, we can't see the end of this, then we demand something different. We demand that God give evidence right now for what we cannot see. And that limits us because reconciliation takes time. And there isn't always a payoff. There's not always an immediate, the puzzle pieces fit together. And we struggle with that in our culture. We struggle with that within our hearts. That's challenge number one. The second challenge that we face is the belief that we, because of everything has been personalized, everything has been uh, created for our liking, that we then are the ones who determine what is good. It's especially important in our verse this morning because Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now who gets to define for Joseph and his brothers what good is? Who gets to decide in our own context, in our own lives, what is good? When I climb in my car and I hit the button and everything changes, that feels good. When I grab my phone and everything is personalized for me, that feels good. When I sit in the chair at home and I turn on the TV, I like when there aren't commercials. I like when it fast forwards through things that I don't particularly care for. I like when everyone here leaves me alone or talks to me when I want them to, when my experience of church is personalized for my liking. I like that. I like to define what is good. And that becomes a roadblock, a challenge to being able to see not our good or what we define as good, but what God declares good. which in the story of Joseph 
forces us to take a step back and see that what God sees as good and how God works good is a very different timeline, a very different, it's just a very different way of seeing things. Some of us may have forgotten the story of Joseph, and we've sort of, if you want to head to the next slide, uh, we've put up on the screen sort of a, a flyby version in one minute or less, the story of Joseph. When we meet him in chapter 37, and if you have your Bible open, you can sort of follow along with the headings there. When we meet Joseph in chapter 37 of Genesis, 13 chapters before this, he's kind of a whiny tattletale that his brothers hate. They hate him so much that they decide they are going to kill him. And so they throw him in a pit and ultimately decide not to kill him, but sell him into slavery, hoping that they will never see him again. And so Joseph is sent to Egypt, and he becomes a slave in the house of Potiphar, and things go well for him because God is with him. But this leads to a, a unique situation where Potiphar's wife, fall, the, the Egyptian official, falls in love with Joseph and wants to claim Joseph as her own. And that, of course, leads to Joseph being thrown into prison because no Egyptian official wants a, an Israelite slave to take his place. And so Joseph is thrown into prison and forgotten for many years. And yet God is with Joseph and rises to be a warden of sorts in the Egyptian dungeon and meets a few folks from Pharaoh's court he interprets their dreams. Things go well for one of them, not for the other. But this person, too, does not share good things about Joseph, but forgets him. And Joseph remains forgotten until jo a Pharaoh finally has a dream in which, because Joseph can interpret it, raises him to second in the land. And that's good, of course, but on the world stage, famine is seven years out. Not just in Egypt, but a famine that will leave the entire known world at that time destitute. Not just in Egypt, but up in Israel, down in the peninsula, out into the African plains, up to the north. Everywhere is going to need food. They're going to need corn. And that, of course, leads Joseph's brothers down to Egypt. Famine threatens Joseph's family, and that leads them down to interact with Joseph. Which, of course, leads to this interaction in Genesis chapter 50. Now, in Genesis chapter 50, decades have passed. That was like a two-minute overview. And sometimes, again, because we want God to act now, we want to see the payoff of what he is up to in the immediate. And yet God, in turning what is intended for evil into something that is God's intention for good, it takes time. It takes us laying aside our personalization of faith. When we go home, we may need to do some homework. We may need to look at the ways in which we have 
allowed ourselves to be sucked into the personalization of our lives in every corner, at every turn, and how that has bled into our faith and limits our ability to see what God is up to. And because everything is personalized, everything is to our liking, we are unable to see the people who are across the aisle. We are unable to see the benefits and the good and the ethnos around us. God intended it for good. Now this also challenges us, not just in the relationships that we have with one another, but also in the things that occur to us. Things that are all too real for us in the life of our congregation right now. How do we, when families fall apart, how do we, when we lay children to rest, how do we, when things occur to us, how do we continue to accept that this verse is true? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, one of the things to note here is that the determination of good does not end with that word in verse 20. It includes the rest of the verse. To accomplish what is now being done, and what is being done is the saving of many lives. That God in his plan to reconcile heaven and earth, to bring those who are far away into the family of God, that God is using... what is good that we cannot see, what we do not make sense of, what we cannot understand, even after decades, for the saving of many lives, to do what we had not expected him to do. And the way the author of Genesis tells this is a unique way. Genesis is the last chapter in the book. If we turn the page, we get to Exodus. This is one of the last verses in the book. And if we were to go all the way back to the very beginning, right? We would go back to the tree. At the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He puts human beings in the garden and he looks at his creation and he says, this is, we miss the word. Humans have been created. This is very good. And after creation, we have the fall. We have Cain and Abel. We have Babel. We have destruction. We have family tension. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. We have enslavement. We have all of these things that rise up as God, through his author, tells the story of Genesis. Everything that the devil and his forces of darkness intend for evil to manipulate, corrupt, and distort. And yet at the very end of the story, the author reminds us, God intended it for good for the saving of many lives. And one of the things in listening to the podcast, the interview between George and Sammy on Thursday of this week, is the truth that stories aren't done 
until they're done. And there are times where we imagine that God is done with us, and he's not. And this story in Joseph and this corn is a reminder that God's good for us goes all the way back to the garden and will not stop until his plan for the saving of many lives is complete. Let's pray. Gracious God, what a privilege it is to be part of your plan. Sometimes, God, we imagine that we know best what is good. Forgive us when we imagine that just like all of our apps are personalized, our faith is too. But God, for some of us here this morning, we have things going on in our lives that are tragic, that are incredibly painful. And it is near impossible to see how this could be good. We're in the pit like Joseph. And it is difficult for us to see how you can make any good out of this. Help us to see that the story is not written. And that you are intending it for good. Not just for our good, but for the world's good. So however we come this morning, whether we are in need of some conviction or challenge or whether we are in need of encouragement and hope, may we remember that though the forces of darkness intend to harm us, you, O oh God, our Father, intend to do good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We pray this in the name of our dear Savior, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen.